rootslandnation.com Wear your culture. 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 Henry K. Henry K. Production. The Rootsland Podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. This is the kid. Calls me 59 days in a row. Wants to be a player. Being in the game meant getting to know the players. I quickly learned that one of the most important job qualifications at Island was having a rich father who is friends with the owner. Fortunate sons like Billy D, an arrogant white Jamaican screw-up, with a dark personality and an unhealthy obsession with dancehall music's seedy underworld. William Diamond, or Billy D as they called him, was one of five children whose father owned the other half of the island that Chris Blackwell didn't. While his brothers and sisters were all diligently studying and receiving finance and banking degrees, young Billy and his reckless uptown friends spent their nights lurking the ghettos of Kingston, looking for raunchy strip clubs and street corner prostitutes they could pick up and defile. Billy D seemed to take a perverse pleasure when he bragged about the way he and his friends would abuse and humiliate these unsuspecting, underprivileged girls, knowing full well these young girls were part of a dark underworld and would fear reporting the crimes to the authorities. After all, Billy Dee's family were the authorities. And if he and his well-connected crew ran around the island like they owned the place, it's because they owned the place. In their minds, that included the people. Before young William could do any more damage in Jamaica or to the family reputation, he was dispatched up to New York, where his father's friend Chris Blackwell gave him an opportunity to find some direction. Billy D caught most people off guard with his innocent John Mayer good looks and soft-spoken demeanor, but his eyes revealed the uncaring gaze of someone who spent a life without having to suffer any consequences for their actions. Even his obsession with dancehall music came off as unauthentic and disingenuous. He seemed more intent in controlling the music for his own self-interest and personal gain than promoting dancehall culture to the world. For generations, Jamaica's wealthy elite felt they were entitled to a piece of everything that made money, coming on or going off the island. Now that dancehall music was earning big money, it was the latest commodity in their crosshairs. When people in the office told Billy that I had spent time working in Kingston at Tough Gong Music and suggested that I could offer some advice about the music business and my experience, I guess that made him feel insecure. He felt the need to come over and mark his territory, as if to say he was the baddest Jamaican dude on the block. It was fine with me. I was not Jamaican, and we were in New York. This was my block. So I hear you work in Kingston, man. What's up? I'm William Diamond. They call me Billy D. Hey, Billy. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I worked at I worked at Tough Gong for the Marlies. So I guess if you worked at Tough Gong, you must be a believer. Excuse me. You believe Roots Reggae can make a comeback? 
You never knew reggae died with Bob Marley. I never heard that reggae died when Bob Marley died. No, no, I didn't hear about that one. I must have missed that story. I'm telling you that, you know. They're over that one love kumbaya shit. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Dancehall music is the future. It's got that it's got that raw energy that everybody wants. The people want slackness and filth. I guess time will tell. I don't think Roots Reggae is going anywhere. It changes, it evolves. But there's always going to be reggae music. Henry, how old did you say you are? Actually, I didn't say. But I'm 25 years old. How does it feel to be a 25-year-old fucking dinosaur? Hmm? I realized I had to tread carefully with Billy D. The old saying about keeping your enemies closer than your friends was written for the likes of a William Diamond. And it turns out this delicate dance I learned would serve me well. The island office in New York would not be the last time I'd cross paths with Billy D. And next time would be on his block. Bones Malone did his very best to teach me this was a game of strategy and alliances, a game of planning and precision. But he had a difficult job. His student had no game. And even the best laid plans go out the window when you fall in love with the boss's girl. It was one of those dark gray autumn days in New York City, in the shadows of the towering skyscrapers. It felt like night, even at three in the afternoon. From where I stood, it was pure sunshine in Soho. An instant crush on the petite mahogany-skinned beauty who ran the downtown island trading company retail store. Her energy, her sophistication, the dedication to her craft. I love the fact I had introduced myself to her at least a dozen times, and each time she had no clue who I was. After all, why would she? I didn't know it until it was too late, but she was Chris Blackwell's fiance. She was going to marry the real-life version of the Dos Equis' most interesting man in the world. Except Chris Blackwell was richer and better looking. And I'm sure, infinitely more interesting. Stay thirsty, my friends. friends. Mary Vinson, boutique owner, designer, entrepreneur, had a reputation around the office as a super diva. Naomi Campbell meets Miranda Priestley. But this devil turned out to be an angel. And she didn't wear Prada. That sweater is not just blue. She wore her own designs. It's actually cerulean. Her high-end fashion line that incorporated authentic African prints and textiles with modern urban aesthetics. Her boutique's devoted clientele consisted of A-list Afrocentric black celebrities and pre-woke white Upper East Side soccer moms, all willing to spend thousands of dollars on her sub-Sahara-inspired designs. Mary had been known to throw a tantrum or two around the office, mostly directed at her catty Vietnamese designer, Chris. The Stanley Tucci Nico character to her Miranda. Christopher's style, a cross between an Asian L.L. Bean cover model and an Irish high school English teacher. Wool turtlenecks, tortoiseshell framed glasses, and tweed blazers with arm patches were all part of his standard office uniform. Since Mary and Chris barely spoke, and I was the low man on the island trading totem pole, I was given the job of shuttle diplomacy. I would carry his rough sketches, 
down to Mary at her store for her comments and revisions, then bring them back to Chris to make his corrections. A back-and-forth process that could take hours. Or days. I didn't mind getting out of the office. Any chance to enjoy the vibes of New York City? Have a dirty water hot dog or a mystery meat shish kebab? And best of all, there was something about Mary. The brows above her light brown eyes would ruffle as she would concentrate on her sketches, her mind transforming them, bringing the designs to life. By the people in this room. Mary wasn't a big talker. She expressed herself in her work. Sometimes little tidbits would slip out. Her awareness that she wasn't liked in the office. She didn't care. Ridiculed that her boyfriend was buying her into the industry. She ignored it. She knew as a pioneering black woman in the fashion world, she was held to a higher standard than many of her counterparts. Before the walls came crashing down, Mary Vinson was bucking a notoriously close-minded and historically racist fashion industry that marginalized women of color as models, photographers, and designers. Mary kept quiet and kept working. Maybe I should have done the same thing. I was always nervous around her. And in my bright-eyed naivety, probably said a little too much. Things that would come back to haunt me. Henry, you want to be the next Chris Blackwell? (laughs) I wouldn't mind. What does that even mean? Well, he has amazing taste, and he always picks a winner. That's just for starters. And from the outside, it looks like he has a life that anyone would want. Please. I said life, not wife. (laughs) You know... I have a great idea. What's that? Why don't you worry less about being Chris Blackwell? Okay. And more about doing your job and selling some t-shirts. Huh? That would be a good start. Mary was right. But she did have a pretty keen foresight about a lot of things. Before fashion's PC movement or cancel culture, Mary Vinson was traveling the world to carefully source her fabrics and materials, assuring fair pay and decent conditions for her workers. Her designs were created to empower and celebrate women of all ethnicities and body types before it was literally in fashion. And decades before the stylized pan-African blockbuster Black Panther, she designed and curated a Wakanda-like world in her small Soho boutique, a place that paid homage to the time-honored traditions of Africa and Caribbean culture and carried them forward to a whole new generation. I guess it was only natural that Chris Blackwell would fall in love with Mary Vinson. She was to fashion what he was to music. May 11th, 1991, marked the 10th anniversary of Bob Marley's death. Island Records, along with the Marley family, had a series of album releases, concerts and events planned to commemorate Bob's passing. Of course, my friend Brian criticized it as a blatant money grab, a way for Island to profit off Bob's death. Personally, I was excited about the festivities, especially since I was going to help organize and attend most of them, culminating with an invitation-only show at the White River Reggae Park in Jamaica, hosted by Rita Marley and her children. Ten years after his death, Bob Marley had reached a whole new level of popularity, selling more records and topping more charts worldwide than ever before. 
Merchandising and t-shirt sales were also at an all-time high. That meant I was doing my job, and it was safe. But I didn't want to just be a t-shirt salesman. I wanted to be in the music business. I had slowly been climbing my way up the ladder, sacrificed love, friendship, and family to be in this business. Even my credibility from friends in the reggae community, who considered me a sellout for working at Island, for being part of the same system I used to rail against. Then one windswept February morning, on the jagged cliffs of the Ocho Rios coastline, in the living room of a rustic seaside bungalow, I'd come face to face with my boss for the very first time, Chris Blackwell, legendary music man, star maker known for recognizing talent, drive, ambition, and rewarding it. I'd have my one shot to convince him why I deserve to work for and be part of his music empire. One chance to let him know who I was and what I stood for, which meant one thing. I needed to figure out who I was and what I stood for. Man looks in the abyss. There's nothing staring back at him. At that moment, man finds his character. And that is what keeps him out of the abyss. Rootsland is produced by Henry K Productions in association with Vicebox Studios. Remember to like, share, and subscribe, and please support our show by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack, available on Amazon, iTunes, or wherever you purchase music. Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. Henry K Productions.